You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. I'm grateful for that prayer, Andy. Thank you very much. And Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors here at Forest Hill Church, very glad that you're here. Normally I say that uh, this is Forest Hill Church, one church in six other locations, but now this is literally because of technology, one church in hundreds of locations because of this unique opportunity we have this weekend of being able to gather together in different places, but still to operate with the identity that we are still the church. And so Thank you for coming. We are beginning this brand new series in the Gospel of Mark, Trading Up. I invite you to take out your smart devices or your actual book with pages as we're going to be taking a look at Mark chapter 1. But before we do that, let me tell you a story. Uh, Several weeks ago, a couple months ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia at a restaurant with my wife, Aimee, and some friends from a ministry, and we sat down at this very popular restaurant, and it's one of those restaurants that has a menu. It's in English, but I'm not sure exactly what's happening on the menu. I don't understand it. But I saw this particular entree that I wanted to try. It's a corn souffle thing with pork bellies in it. Now, I had pork bellies for the first time in my life, like a, like a couple years ago, and my palate became sophisticated. It was amazing. And so I said, corn souffle, and I've got pork bellies? I want that. And so I got ready for it. Uh, I made, she ordered some type of an artistic appetizing a lamb entree. Other people had ordered the authentic southern fried chicken dish, but I got my corn souffle and pork bellies are coming. And when it came, There was a lot of corn souffle and three tiny microscopic pieces of pork belly. I was disappointed. At this particular point, I was not very happy, was not very satisfied. And I know I violated some particular spiritual virtue of uh, contentment, but at that particular point, I wasn't feeling too spiritual. I was very, very hungry. I took a look at, at Aimee's plate, and I saw this amazing lamb sculpture, and I saw the fried chicken. So you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, I want what's on their plate. I'm not happy with what I'm having on my, I want what's on their plate. Listen, I know that there are times when contentment is a virtue that we really should be intent to long for and to live by. But can I be honest with you? I think that there are some times where we should not be content with status quo. I think that there are some times that we should not be content when we are being victimized. I don't think we should be content with mediocrity. I don't think that we should be content with living with a victimized mentality, but at the same point, I don't think we should ever be content to live with anything less than the kind of life that God intended for us. I think we should trade up. I think we should stop at nothing less than to go for the life that God desires for us. And that is precisely what this series is all about. As a matter of fact, I really didn't understand that my discontentment got ramped up until I saw what I got in contrast to what I ordered and what I saw around me. In a similar way, I know I've got my own issues, but in a similar way, we want this series to offer you a picture, a powerful picture of the dynamic life that God desires for every single one of us to have to such a degree that you would hunger for it, that you would thirst for it, and that you would not settle to be satisfied with anything less, no more corn souffle and microscopic pork bellies, that you want the full deal, everything that God wants. As a matter of fact, as you just heard, the brand new mission of our church is we want to be the kind of people to build bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. But you know something, it's hard to connect people to something you haven't experienced for yourself. And here's the good news. 
God wants everyone to experience that dynamic life in Christ. He wants everyone to experience everything that they were always intended to have, but because of sin, rebellion, selfishness, we have been disqualified from that. And yet, the good news is is that it's still available to us. As a matter of fact, one of Jesus' disciples, the apostle Peter, in his second letter, actually expresses that. He refers to Jesus as this God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and says that through Jesus Christ, his divine power is giving us everything that's required for life and godliness. According to that power that he's called us by his own glory and goodness. And by these, he has given us great and precious promises so that through them, we can share, we can participate in the divine life. You see what's on that plate? Divine life. Where the supernatural becomes natural. The God life, the abundant life. The life that is exceeding overflowing, the kind of life that's transforming, we are designed to experience that kind of life as we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants for us to have, which brings us then to the gospel of Mark. As a matter of fact, the proper title should not be the gospel according to Mark. It really should be the gospel according to Peter, because Mark is actually taking the dictation from the eyewitness account of Peter. Mark has been considered as like a spiritual son to Peter. Mark's mother, Mary, at her home, he was a part of all these kinds of discussions as the early church was meeting in those homes to talk about ministry and to talk about the expansion of mission. And Mark was a part of that, but it's at the feet of Peter that Mark is receiving the first-hand eyewitness accounts of this very special apostle for his experience in watching and listening to Jesus Christ. And so he's writing all this down. And of course, the language that Mark uses is probably reflective of Peter's style, impetuous, dynamic, descriptive. And so you'll see words in Peter. I mean, Mark, uh, he spares nothing in being able to help describe the full picture of the impact of Jesus' life on the people that were there. So here's the thing. Uh, pretend that you are living in 60 to 70 AD, right around when this book was written, the first of the gospels we believe. And at this particular time, you are living in Rome. You're a Gentile believer. And you've given your life to Jesus Christ, this man, this leader, this Messiah, who about 30 years ago fulfilled his ministry purpose, was crucified, resurrected, and he ascended to heaven. And now the church by the Holy Spirit has been birthed and you are a recipient of that kind of ministry. But you're also living in a time that's been incited by persecution because of the crazy Emperor Nero that actually looks at Christianity as a virus that needs to be exterminated and he's doing everything he can to wipe Christianity out. So that impacts you and those that you love and so you gather together, you want to be encouraged and you can't go home to your Bible scriptures because the Bible hasn't been created yet. Your encouragement comes as you gather together with with a small group of friends in homes, in temples, in catacombs, to worship and praise and to prayer and to receive whatever insight and truth has been handed down. And a friend comes to you and says, hey, you gotta come to the next meeting. You gotta get to the next meeting because at this meeting, we have just gotten access that a copy of the letter that has been written of the eyewitness account of the apostle Peter himself, it's going to be read and you gotta come. And so you're like, holy smokes, being able to hear the words and the eyewitness account from an actual disciple of Jesus Christ, because you've got nothing other than what's been handed down. And now you're gonna be able to hear as this letter is read. And when you gather with all these friends, your anticipation of, of wanting to know more about who this Jesus is. And here's how the letter starts. Mark chapter one, verse one, and it says this. This is the beginning, the beginning of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and maybe in that moment, with all the pressures that you've been facing, being able to know an anticipation that you're going to hear more about the one you have placed your faith and your life in, that this biography, this journal is beginning, and you're about to step into the reality of who Jesus was and all that he did. And so I want to invite you as we walk through these pages, especially at this particular chapter of realizing that what Mark really wanted, Mark wanted to make sure that he portrayed Jesus as the supreme messianic servant through whom the kingdom of God would come. That's one of the reasons why he says the beginning of the gospel, it's good news, it's great news. And it begins that emphasis on how you and I can experience dynamic life. It's poured out for us through Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna take a look now at the good news, this great gospel news of Jesus Christ. Now, it's been our practice that whenever the scripture is read that we would stand, and I realize these are coming kind of unique circumstances, but you know something? Simply because we're not together, we're still kind of together, so I'm gonna ask you, it might feel a little awkward, I'm not sure exactly where you're watching this, but if you can, simply again, symbolizing the fact that we're all together, if you're able to, I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet in the reverence of the reading of God's word wherever you are. As we take a look at this passage together, we're going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It's a, one, a version now we, we've been very familiar with over the last several months. We believe that that Bible is still faithful to the original texts, is easier to read, but those of you who have the ESV, please feel free to bring that. But more and more, we will be relying on the CSB version. So, from the word of the Lord, Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels were serving him. But after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish people. Immediately, they, fought, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Wow. This first major event of this good news, we take a look at Jesus' baptism. John's doing the baptizing and Jesus is coming like everybody else, but not for the very same reasons. As a matter of fact, the reason why Jesus is coming is not because he has sins that need to be forgiven. It's not a repentance that Jesus has to go through because he is sinless. But in Jesus' baptism, he is affirming this powerful ministry of John the Baptist who brought forth this invitation for people to repent and find their sins forgiven. 
But Jesus is coming in his complete, full submission to the will of God as a servant and to identify with humanity. Jesus is going to set the stage as an example for all to follow him. But Jesus shows us that he's identifying himself as one of us, but through whom the kingdom benefit would come. There are three events that happens there. After Jesus comes up out of the water, it says that the heavens were torn open. The original word for that is schizo, which actually means a forceful tearing, dividing, rending, a splitting. It's almost as if in Mark's language that what's happening in the heavens is actually a breakthrough, a forceful breakthrough of the kingdom of God into our present human condition. The second thing that happens is that the spirit of God descends like a dove. There's a contrast because the tone of John the Baptist's ministry was a preaching for repentance because of judgment. But with the Holy Spirit coming down, he is actually kind of empowering Jesus for the Messianic ministry, but not endowing Jesus with divinity. Unlike some cults and religions, they kind of believe that it's at that point that Jesus became God. Not at all. Jesus was always God, but this dissension of the Spirit is an affirmation of his ministry as the Spirit rests upon him and helps him to fulfill his Messianic duty. But in that dissension, Jesus is actually saying that his ministry unlike one of judgment, would be one without any less authority or power, but one that's gentle, one that's loving, one that has humility attached to it as well. And then the third thing, the voice from heaven, that Jesus hears the Father. Unlike what Matthew said in Matthew's gospel, the voice says, this is my beloved son. In both Mark and Luke, the words are, and you'll see it right there, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Consider that for a moment. That the almighty God, the father of Jesus Christ, in that particular moment would rend the heavens asunder, apart, and he would speak to Jesus and he would say to him, you, you are my beloved son and in you, you are the source of the light. Here's what's interesting. It appears that nobody else saw that except Jesus and John the Baptist. In other words, this was not something that God did for anybody else, but he did it for Jesus. And what he does in that is he affirms Jesus Christ as his son. He affirms his love, his affection. He affirms this love that they've had from eternity past, even to the present, all the way through. And the idea that Jesus is affirmed of that love, he belongs to God, that they are together and that there's this love and that there is a father's delight in his son. Can I tell you that one of the joys of my life is to hear from my mom and dad, even to the present day, they'll call me and they'll tell me how much they love me and how proud they are to be my parents. The greater joy I have is when I call my own son and daughter, Nathan and Christine, and I call them or I text them messages to let them know how much I love them and how proud I am to be their dad. Proud to have them as my son and my daughter. Because folks, I know how important that kind of message can be that gives you encouragement to face some of the challenges that we face. But there is an almighty God doing that to his son. One of the things I think that grieves me for many of us here, many of you, is maybe you didn't have the kind of parent, a mother or father, who expressed that kind of affection and affirmation for who you are as their son or daughter. I'm sorry about that. It is my hope that as we go through this series, 
you will be assured over and over again of the divine love of God. As a matter of fact, here's the dominant theme for this, entire, for this entire message, and it flows all the way through Jesus' life. We want people to be connected to the dynamic life in Christ. Here's the deal. Dynamic life flows from divine love. Dynamic life flows from divine love. The two are inseparable when it comes to God. And it is his deep desire for every one of us in Christ to know how deeply he loves us. And folks, no matter what we may have done that may disrupt our fellowship with God, nothing disrupts his love for us. It is constant. And even though you may not hear it the way that Jesus did with that voice out of heaven, please know that God Almighty paid the price through his son Jesus Christ to shout from the heavens his love and his affection for any who would choose to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. That's the baptism. Then what happens after that is Jesus is then tested. That's the next part of it. We'll see that in verses 12 through 13. And what's the first word? You take a look in that passage. The first word there, immediately. As a matter of fact, that particular word is used like over 40 times throughout Mark's gospel. Immediately, there's an urgency. The spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. It's not that Jesus went kicking and screaming. It's that there's this sense of being under the authority and leading of the Holy Spirit. There's no time to bask in the affirmation. It seems as if he came up out of the water, got the voice, and then after that, immediately he went to the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted in this place of desolation where he would be deprived of the material resources for his own survival. And he would also at the same time relinquish his divine right to use divine supernatural skills to meet his own need. That what he, would gonna, he was going to have for his survival was his, re, his communion, his reliance upon God the Father. Because he's in the wilderness. He's not there alone. He's in there with Satan. Interesting, Matthew uses the word for devil. That word means to divide where Mark says Satan. And Satan, that word actually means the one who opposes. Jesus would experience opposition all throughout his ministry, but maybe here in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, a concentrated assault against his identity, against his authority, against his priority, and that Jesus would come through that. We don't get the advantage in Mark that we had in Matthew of the conversation that took place between Jesus and Satan. We find out that with every seduction and every attempt of the enemy to compromise Jesus' identity and authority that Jesus countered with scripture, the living word using the inspired written word to counter the enemy. And because of that, he basically shut Satan down. Folks, the scripture, when we are being tested or when we are being tempted, whether it's overwhelming circumstances like many of us are finding ourselves right now this week or whatever may be going on in your life or when we are overcome, maybe because of this assault of temptation to compromise our relationship with God, the scripture is a powerful offensive and defensive weapon to use to put the enemy on the run when it is used and wielded properly. Jesus does that successfully. We need to use that as a resource as well. But may I suggest to you an, another powerful resource that I believe that Jesus used in the wilderness, as a matter of fact, all throughout his life, that is ours as well too. And I think the clue of that is back at the baptism. 
I believe that one of the resources that Jesus used was a complete assurance and faith of God's love and affirmation for him. Can I be honest? In my own personal life, when I get overwhelmed by circumstances that causes me to compromise in my faith or causes me to doubt, when I fall failure to the sins that I'm tempted and I give into, in almost every one of those situations, prior to falling to the force, I experience a sense of a lack of assurance and doubt about the love of God for me. Maybe dealing with fear, maybe dealing with anxiety, maybe dealing with some type of a guilt or shame, that when the love of God becomes eclipsed by something else, the tendency to be able to stand strong becomes even weaker. I need to be reminded, like I hope you are reminded as well too, that when you face those odds, those circumstances, those oppositions, or the seductions of temptation that the enemy is throwing at you and me to compromise our faith, remember, remember, you are dearly loved by God and he is proud to be called your dad no matter what. My victories, when they have come, it's because I was able to be reminded of who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me. And I hope that's an encouragement to you that no matter who your mom and dad were or weren't, your heavenly father who adopted you at an exorbitant, extravagant price is never sorry that he did. You're his forever. Do not let the enemy convince you that some corn souffle with three little pieces of pork bellies is good enough for you. It isn't. You and I are meant for so much more, and we do not need to dine at the garbage that the enemy throws at us. Whatever the testing is, whatever the overwhelming challenge is, the love of God, dynamic life flows from divine love, can sustain us and carry us through that particular challenge. The next thing that happens is that Jesus emerges from the wilderness proclaiming the good news. The passage there tells us that along Galilee, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And he was saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is not just coming, it's come. It's here. Therefore, repent and believe. Folks, I think we need to kind of reclaim that whole thing of what gospel is because unfortunately that term gospel seems to be a description of a genre of music or a genre of literature but in the old testament times in ancient times good news would be proclaimed by a king when there was a military victory that the benefits of that victory would be experienced by all the people and so he would in the preceding that would tell the people what's happened great news and it would go all throughout the land so people would know there was no longer a threat of tyranny there was no longer a threat of the the loss of the quality of life the good news that Jesus is bringing. I'm thinking with every stride in his speech, proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God has already come. Folks, it's not that Jesus was simply just proclaiming the reality of the kingdom, but that all the benefits of the kingdom were coming with the very king who was bringing the That's like the best news. It's not just like he sent a messenger. The king came himself to say, I am here and I'm bringing the kingdom with all of its benefits with me. In this particular chapter and all through the book of Mark, you will see that the benefits of that kingdom are going to oppose demonic dominion, 
debilitating diseases. It would deal with our own depravity. It would deal with tempests and storms. It would deal with depression and despair. The benefits of the kingdom would also ultimately oppose and conquer death. And Jesus proclaims this amazing news that through him, the kingdom has now come. But here's the thing. It ain't really good just to tell a person what's come or what's here without telling them how to get it. And here's what Jesus does. He has a two-pronged approach or kind of like two sides of the same coin of how to get into the kingdom. Number one, repentance. Number two, belief. That's what he says. Repent and believe in the great news. I don't think that Jesus said that with a frown. I don't think that Jesus said that was sad. I think Jesus must have said that with joy. Repent. That word for repentance means a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of perspective, a change of allegiance and loyalty. As a matter of fact, I love the story of a missionary who described what repentance looks like. He had the opportunity of being able to go to a particular village in South India, a diocese in, in South India, and the only way you could get to the village is not through a road, but crossing a river, and you could only enter by either the south entrance or the north entrance. Well, the village, they couldn't wait to get him, and so they planned a festive welcome for this missionary, and they all agreed he should come through the south entrance. And they had prepared with, like, native dances and foods and fireworks and music to welcome this missionary, but they kind of got lost or something like that, and he came through the northern entrance, and rather than being greeted by the festivity, he was greeted by, like, goats and chickens and stuff. Well, the people that were with him said, no, no, you, you, you can't do this. The people will be very disappointed. So disappear back into the jungle and we'll bring the people back. And so the missionary went back into the jungle, just kind of waiting. And then the people, the party, they were told, the missionary's coming to the northern ender, entrance. And so the entire party did a U-turn, an entire U-turn, and took the festivities, the music, the fireworks, the dances, all that from one particular end, and they turned around and went to the other entrance. And so when they got there, the missionary came out, surprise, and he was able to experience the festivity. That person went on to say that that's kind of like what repentance is. Repentance is not simply just turning away from our sins, although that's part of it, but sometimes that can be confused with simply just merely moral reformation. No, repentance, and especially the way that Jesus communicated it, Jesus is saying the kingdom is here. The benefit of what God wants for you is here, but you're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking for the wrong thing. Turn around and so that you don't miss what God has delivered to you, the fullness, the goodness of his kingdom. And repentance means stop facing the wrong direction. Stop looking for the wrong thing and turn around and embrace the fullness of everything that God wants for you. Folks, it's the most loving thing to tell a person who is looking in the wrong direction. You're not looking at the right thing. It's over here. What Jesus does for the people then and does for people today to tell them, turn around. Do an about-face. Do a U-turn. Everything you hunger for is in the other direction. And all you have to do is turn around to let go of your version of life the way that you want to embrace the fullness of what God has. But repentance is only a part of it. In other words, it's not enough just to simply turn around or turn away from. you got to embrace the new thing. That's where belief comes in. Repent and believe the good news. That is where we make a willing 
and willful decision to entrust our life, everything we know about who we are to everything we know about Jesus Christ and to embrace him fully. Jesus says the the magnitude of the kingdom is not something that you just should just snack on. No, take it in full. Turn away from that. But now embrace fully the complete full magnitude and the glory and the goodness that God has prepared for you through the king who brings his kingdom. Repent and believe the awesome, the good, the wonderful news of the kingdom of God. We see that this dynamic life flowing through divine love, especially when we look at how Jesus recruits disciples. In verse 16 through 20, we find out that the kingdom work of God was never intended to be completed and accomplished by simply just one person. Even through the Old Testament days, God always seems to still want to use the very humanity he's trying to rescue. And so Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and there the scripture says, as you see it, that he saw Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, they were casting their nets. They were fishing, doing their thing. And he comes up to them and he says, follow me. The actual word there is come after me. Come after me, and I will make you fish for people. And the scripture says that they left their nets, dropped what they were doing, packed up their stuff, and they followed. Then it says, going along a little farther, they saw another brother team, a sibling team, James and John, now with their father Zebedee and hired hands, which means that that was a pretty good family business. To be able to have hired hands, you must have been making some money. And he comes to them and calls them. I'm just trying to picture what that must have looked like. They're out there mending their nets, probably getting it ready for the next, the next hall. And along comes this carpenter preacher and says a few words to James and John. And they basically fold up their nets, give it to their dad, get out of the boat. And they walk away from everything that they knew. They walk away from their livelihood. They walk away from their family to pursue and accept the invitation of this man. They're trading up to a completely different trade. You know, one of the things I find inspiring in this is that they were invited at all. I mean, these guys, they didn't have any credentials. They didn't have what it would take to do this kind of ministry. They did not know what they were getting themselves into, but Jesus did. Normally, disciples go after a particular rabbi to say, hey, I I want you to mentor me. This rabbi, this leader, this Messiah, he goes after them and says, you now, come after me. There is something powerful about being chosen. You know you don't have what it takes. You ain't all that. And then someone of greater value and greater worth deliberately comes in your directions and says, I want you. I've got something greater for you. I want you to join me in what I am doing. I mean, this is the very same voice that they would hear I would speak and command storms. I would speak and command demons. I would speak and command diseases. And I would speak into a tomb and command death to come out and be transferred into life. Do you think that maybe when they heard the call of Jesus that they took a look at what's on their plate, as good as it was, and they said, I want something more. And apparently, he can give it to me. 
That they were called was amazing. I also think the fact that what he was calling them to, Jesus says, I will make you fish for people. Here's what's really cool about that is that Jesus says to them, I'm not just giving you assignment and then go do it. He says, I'm gonna pour myself into you so that you will do way more than you ever thought you could, but I'm going to give you myself. The wonder of this king is that he is not simply just interested in what he can do for us, but what he wants to do with us and through us for others. Dynamic life flowing through divine love that transforms the condition of our, our life right now and our forever condition forever. He's gonna teach them. He's gonna pour himself. They're gonna have his authority. Now they don't get that right away, but somehow something that they heard said, he is worth the risk. He is worth the trust. He is worth leaving everything to embrace a brand new life. What I also love is where Jesus found them, right? Where they were when he called them. They were taking care of business. They were doing their regular rhythm of life just like they'd always done it. And Jesus comes to where they are. Nothing special. They had no idea what day it was. But Jesus comes in the regular rhythm of regular everyday life. And all of a sudden, with the invitation, it's no longer regular. Can I tell you that right now, right now, in classrooms and playgrounds of elementary schools, Jesus is calling elementary school children to follow him. In the locker rooms of middle school and high school facilities, Jesus right now all over the world is calling middle schoolers and high schoolers to follow him, to pursue and come after him. Those that are entering into college, those that are entering into the marketplace, he is right now calling them to pursue him at the expense of everything else that may be going on in their life. He is calling those who are single adults or those who are single again or single parents, calling them right now, he's calling all over the world to follow him. He is calling those who are young parents or those who are engaged or those who are seeking to adopt. He's calling them. Even in their pursuit of a family, he's still calling them to follow him. Or those parents who have teenagers or maybe they're empty nesters or those people who are in their middle-aged life or maybe they're in their second and third seasons of life. He is calling all kinds of people, regardless of age and stage, in their regular rhythms of their everyday life to pursue Jesus Christ as the king of their life, to accept an invitation to the citizenship into this kingdom. Maybe he's calling you right now. Maybe you've never known him. Maybe you do, but you've been settling for something less than the fullness of the goodness of God. And right now, you are sensing Christ calling you into the more. Can I encourage you? Accept the invitation and surrender and submit your life completely to Jesus Christ. Because what he will do for you, what he will do through you, what he will do with you, will be far greater than anything you could imagine. Challenges are coming, but the magnitude and the quality of life that reflects his, it's on the horizon as well. So accept that invitation to receive that dynamic life flowing from that 
divine love. And I know, listen to me, I know for me, sometimes it's really hard to believe that God would love me as much as he does Jesus. I think Jesus knew how difficult that would be to believe. So it's one of the reasons why in John 17, he issues this prayer that I want to read to you. This is the prayer of Jesus. And that prayer, he's praying for all of those who will believe in him. John chapter 17, verse 21. Here's what Jesus prays to God. May they all be one. That's us in Christ. May they be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you are in me so that they may be completely one. That the world may know that you have sent me, here it comes, and have loved them as you have loved me. How do we walk this out? Number one, profess your faith in Jesus Christ, wherever you may be along the spiritual spectrum, whether you're brand new starting off or you've been there a while but not walking really well, profess your faith, the trusting of your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to do that through the ceremony of baptism. It's our, our hope still that the Easter weekend will have baptisms on all campuses. Let me encourage you, go to the website and sign up for the preparation so that on that day, resurrection weekend, that you can declare and proclaim your faith in Jesus as we celebrate your acceptance of his kingship in your life through baptism. The washing away of your sins, but also the adoption of a brand new way of life. Another thing, be refreshed by the steadfast love of God. No matter what circumstance you may be facing, and some of you are facing some circumstances, many of us right now, the love of God is just as present. Renew, remember, claim the reality that God is proud to be your dad and that you in Christ, in Christ, you are a beloved son and daughter. And then I would also say, Accept the invitation to be included in the work. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is necessarily calling you to leave your job and leave your family. He may be for some of you, but many of us, we're still supposed to be kingdom operatives wherever we are to say, I'm no longer simply going to live for a paycheck, the nine to five thing. I want to live my life in such a way that there is eternal benefit as I pursue Christ and his work in me. That it's Jesus came to serve so do we seek to serve, especially right now? As the church of Jesus Christ, it is uncharacteristic for us to kind of hoard and, and, to, and to huddle alone and, and with fear and anxiety. That's not the church. The church of Jesus Christ is designed to express the life and the hope of God in the world. We have a kingdom that we are a citizen, a citizen of. There's no visas. There's no bureaucratic red tape. There's no waiting in line. We are immediately right now given the benefits and the authority. And therefore, as a church, in the name of Jesus, serve. Look at the people that are living around you. Look for ways of you being able to bring benefit and value to your life as value and benefit has been brought to yours. Here's the deal. Here's a question. With all that Christ has promised, all that Christ has delivered, is all of that, the dynamic life, the divine love, is all that in you, in me? 
or do you hunger for more? It's Mark chapter one, taking a look at dynamic life through the life of Jesus to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Maybe the first step for you and me is asking, asking. So would you join me in prayer right now? Let's ask him. Lord Jesus, we believe that you delivered what was promised. Lord, we acknowledge a hunger and a thirst for more. And only you can bring to us what our souls can be satisfied with, and that is you. So pray this prayer with me. Jesus, please bring the fullness of your goodness to my soul. Bring the fullness of your goodness to my soul and saturate and satisfy my life with your dynamic life and divine love. I need it. I want it. And by faith, I receive it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.